Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to, that was really enthusiastic, but we're really happy that you're here. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. This is Don't Miss This. Today we are doing 2 Corinthians 8 through 13. So we're going to step out of the way so that you can see the board. Um, a couple people have told, okay, Emily almost died <laughs> stepping out of the way. It didn't unplug it, dude. Is it still powered on? Okay. Yeah, y'all, the lag happens when we accidentally step on the court. So um, hopefully you got that. We're really happy that everybody's here with us. And we're, all, we're so excited to finish this end. This, um, it might be your favorite one that we've done so far. Just two sections that we're going to, three sections that we're going to focus on that um, I think are super applicable. And just, you know, sometimes you read the second half of the New Testament and you're just like, this is a letter to people who lived so long ago and almost sometimes really specific issues and problems. So our challenge with the second half of the New Testament is to take what are the general principles that are there um, that can apply, you know, to our time period. And I just think this one's really easy. Yeah, there's some really fun lessons in here. A lot of good stories. Pop some popcorn. You might as well. Put your jammies on. (laughs) (laughs) Not you. Those people. I wanted to already. You just keep wearing that. Everyone. Okay. Um, it's night. We're filming this at night, and we really did want our jammies. We've never on. filmed at night before. Everyone. So hopefully the colors okay. Hopefully the colors the good, and, and hopefully stuff. we're not too tired, and hopefully we don't get punchy. All those things. Hope. <laughs> those Pray. Things. Okay, okay, we're gonna start oh, out with the break. funnest thing. Um, let's just go right to nine seven because it's such okay. a great. There's just a couple great one-liners in here. This is one of them. Um, in nine seven, it's a scripture you're probably familiar with. It says, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And we just want to talk for a few minutes about what it means um, to be not just a giver, but a cheerful giver. What does that look like? Um, How would it impact our own lives? How does it impact the life of other people? And Paul wants to talk about this a lot in 2 Corinthians so we're going to look at a number of places where we learn a little bit about this giving style. So, so what's happening in like the time period when he's writing this letter to the saints there is Jerusalem is having a really big famine. And so the saints who are there are in desperate need. There's a natural disaster happening in that area. And so Paul has actually been traveling around and writing letters and sending messengers to the other branches of the church to try and raise money for the, for the Jerusalem branch and the people who are devastated by the famine which i think is such a like Mm -hmm. that's such a powerful i love knowing that about the background of of everything that's happening here that yeah the saints in corinth have their issues and and yada 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 but what paul really wants to focus on is you guys there are our brothers and sisters who are um who are in in need need. yeah Yeah, who are struggling (laughs) yeah Um, i was struggling (laughs) and when i fell in love with this chapter was actually a time when i was visiting in california is it poway or poway we don't know everyone's gonna want to tell me but that place um i went to speak at and um that stake had done the neatest thing they had um they had a talk where we all gathered together 
and just talked about what it meant to really give and give of our abundance. And everybody had brought from their house to the parking lot of the church all sorts of stuff, furniture, couches, clothing, bedding, everything in the world. They had great big trucks lined up there. And once um, we were done with the talking and I think we had lunch, everybody piled in these trucks and we went down to this women's shelter where they had an entire building and I think that stake outfitted seven apartments, completely mm. outfitted seven whole apartments. And it was interesting because that was the first time I have read this chapter that this part stood out to me. And I think it's because I just participated in that um, women's conference. I love women's conferences. I have the opportunity to speak at a number of women's conferences. You do also. This is the first women's conference I've ever been to where we went and, and didn't just gather together and share spiritual things, but we actually went to work. They handed out those yellow shirts to everybody. Oh, when the helping you hand ones? Yes. In Utah, we don't wear those yellow shirts, everybody. Like, we've, I've never worn them with my ward. Have you? No. Uh-uh. But... Outside of Utah, people love to wear those yellow shirts. Well, I want one. I have one in my closet. I should have worn it right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, we ought to wear it when we went there. And I just want you to think of a maybe an opportunity you've had like that as you read through. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to think about when someone's going through a trial of affliction and other people gather and bring their abundance in order to take care of that want. He starts out in chapter eight, verse two, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the richness of their liberality. And then um, he goes into this great part where he's talking about, you. some of you have so much stuff, you could be giving giving that. And in verse 10 he says, Herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago, which I love this little part because he's saying to them, don't just think about what you could do, but actually move forward with the thoughts that you've had on this subject. And I love this um, verse 11, any of your kids who like Nike, um, in my scriptures I have the Nike swoosh right there because this could be their theme scripture. Don't tell them in case they don't read the scriptures. But um, verse 11, now therefore perform the doing of it. Remember how the Nike logo is? Just do it. And that's what Paul's telling them. Don't just think about it. Don't just plan a year from now. I hope I do something like this. But perform the doing of it. Just do it, he tells them. Go out. Because if there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to he hath not. And um, he doesn't mean for other men to be eased and you to be burdened, but I love this in 14, but by an equality that now at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want and their abundance also may be a supply for your want. Um, I just love the thought of that and as we were working with that group of women in those yellow shirts to think um, that their abundance had become a supply for the want of those women but um, for those women also that opportunity to bless and be involved in their life and setting up those refuges and that that place of that haven of safety became so healing for the women who were working also that it, it became equal both ways and I just love the thought of that.
Yeah, at the very end of the chapter, there's that line where he just says, Wherefore, show you to them, and before the church is the proof of your love. They're going to send Titus with the money over to Jerusalem. And he said, Will you please show the proof of your love by what you're willing to do? Mm -hmm. And do you remember that story of um, Joseph Smith when they're in Nauvoo and uh, somebody's house is burned yes, down? Yes, I love and, this story. You know, and and uh, they're talking about it in their little high council meeting, and they're going around and... And they're just like, oh, everyone's kind of saying like, oh, that's too bad. And someone says, oh, I feel really bad about it. And Joseph pulls um, $5 out of his pocket and puts it on the table. And he says, I feel $5 bad. How about the rest of you? You know, and just that idea of like, what is the, the proof of your love? And again, there was that counsel from him where he says, don't you take on a burden that's too heavy for mm -hmm. you. And, and he says, you have to begin with an able, and a, you know, an able mind. And I'm in a position to be able to do this, but... Just love that. I was like, mm -hmm. let this be the proof, you know, yeah. of your love. Um, there's a couple other sections of scripture where you'll have some verses you like. We read this one in chapter 9 about um, where he just says, those of you who sow sparingly will reap sparingly, and those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. And he just says, like, the, like, the more you give, the more, like, it's going to, I was just thinking of that. Remember that All Dogs Go to Heaven movie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right when I said, the more you give, there's a song. And it's like, the more you give, the more you're going to get. I don't know. That's like, but the whole idea is like. Can be the theme song yeah. for this week. <laughs> somebody like, as they give, they reap bountifully, like uh, just that joy and satisfaction mm -hmm. and, and brotherly love and kindness towards each other. That is so neat. Um. And then in 8 through 11, he actually goes into this little poem. He quotes from the Proverbs. And I actually want to read this from the message um, version of the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, so this is 2 Corinthians 9. And then, oh, sorry, it clicked out for a second, but I'm going to get there. And uh, what he says, this is so awesome. He said, uh, God loves it when the giver delights in the giving God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. But as one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds and giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out and they never wear out. Um, and I love that thought of that is the God we worship. We mm -hmm. worship a God who just is an abundant giver. Like, do you love that line? Yeah, he throws reckless. caution to the wind. Yeah. You know, he's just like, ah, is this a good idea? And he's just like, I don't care. Yeah. And I'm the just reckless abandon. Yeah. Love like just, that part. You know, we're, yeah. we're just going to do it. We are just going to pour out, you know, and with without measure. You know, that is the, the God that we worship. And um, there is this verse that we have on here, um, chapter 8, verse 9. That kind of like is the almost the catalyst for mm -hmm. this. Like, what turns somebody in to this type of abundant giver? And he says, For you know, this is chapter 8, verse 9, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. That our Lord, our God, was rich and abandoned a throne in heaven and became poor so that the rest of us could be rich. He gave all so that we could receive all. And once that message plants in somebody's heart, I think they start to become that kind abundant of giver, giver mm -hmm. you know? Like it takes hold of their heart. And it's like, and, I, and like Paul said, don't give out of necessity or because you're supposed to, 
But I want that message to be planted in you, that God became poor so that you could become rich. And once that takes hold, a person turns into this type of giver. Um, we love also in 2 Corinthians 12, there is a line, 12 verse 15, that says, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Um, and I, we love the thought of that, that sometimes it just requires us to be spent um, in order to do that giving for people. I love a story that is told, um, it, and you might be familiar with it, um, Sister Camilla Kimball is in the story, but there was a woman named Susan who went to church one Sunday and saw that President Kimball had a new suit. And as she looked at his new suit, she thought, oh, her dad had just brought home really nice, exquisite silk fabric from New York. And in her mind, she there, there was one that she just knew would be perfect for the suit. So she went home and she made a tie and she wrapped it up in tissue paper and she walked over to their house. And just as she got to the house, she thought to herself, why, why am I making a tie for the prophet that he probably doesn't want a tie for me? He has so many ties. He does not need a tie for me. And before she could even get to the door, she turned around to walk back home because she had convinced herself of the ridiculousness of someone making a handmade tie for the prophet. Mm -hmm. And Sister Kimball opened the door right then and said, oh, Susan. And she told her to come up and what was she doing on their sidewalk? And so she started explaining how she'd seen the new suit and how her dad had been to New York and he'd brought this fabric and she made this tie and then she told her. And then I realized he, he probably doesn't need another tie. And Sister Kimball said such a great line to her. She said, Susan, Never suppress a generous thought. Hmm. And I just love the idea behind that, that part of being a cheerful giver is giving. It's not suppressing that generous thought. It's going out of our way um, when we feel that little prompting, that inspiration, just that little moment of insight. Act on it. Perform the doing of it. Just follow through with it. What if all of us, everyone who watches this video this week were to go out into your circle of influence and give something somewhere imagine how uplifting that would be for the whole world yeah you start thinking like what if an entire family did that what if a whole school did that what if what would happen what would occur in you know in that place and and remember we are just coming off of a couple of weeks ago talking about that each of us have different spiritual mm -hmm. gifts right we have different spiritual gifts some people are more financially well off than others you know but oh, it just doesn't take very much to be able. Some people are rich in compliments. Some people are, you know, in mm -hmm. poor in self-esteem. And so there are so many opportunities and ways to do that. I remember Jenny and I, um, when we lived over in Hawaii, we were going to school at BYU Hawaii, and we had no dollars to our name. <laughs> like, and we even opened up a bank account at um, the bank that was at the grocery store there because if you opened a bank account there, they gave you two free movie tickets if you opened the bank account. Mm -hmm. So we did open it just to get the movie tickets and we went to the movie and we gave them and then the lady was like, oh, sorry, the fine print on these is you can't watch a movie like that's a new release, you know, for like two weeks. So there's this big long line behind us and I was like, I am, so, oh, okay, sorry. So I ran over to the, I, we just wanted to go to the movie so bad. I ran over to the ATM and I got out all the money we put in to start the account because <laughs> there wasn't very much in. And when I got back to the movie theater, Jenny was standing there with two tickets and somebody behind in line had just said, um, here, enjoy the movie oh, and bought the tickets. Oh, that is so cute. And I couldn't even watch the movie because the whole time 
I was I was like, well, what did they look like? Where what was their hair color? I was trying to find them in the theater because, you know, I just loved them so much. And and this scripture here is so neat that um, Paul says it leads people to love God more. It leads people to be more thankful to God when when you give to them. You know, they it just has that effect. You it's you just so turn good. people to Him. Okay, so everyone. Let's all go out and do something this week. You just, you think what it's going to be. Um, it's almost like the Joseph Smith $5. Here is yeah. my $5. Here's the proof of my love. Yeah. What are you going to do with your $5? That is um Oh, what if so everyone gave awesome. their, you know, like, have you, you've done that in your family yes, before. My have. mom did that in our family. I love doing that where you give each Christmas, of your kids $5 some money and, like and you, you say pick. you go and do whatever you want and come back and report what yeah. you did. With we'll your, put that idea in the newsletter. Yeah, that we'll could explain be really it a little bit fun. more. It's really cool. Um, okay, and I love that you were talking about gifts and that everybody having their spiritual gifts because there's a really awesome lesson in here that we often overlook. And I think it is such a powerful lesson that Paul is teaching us. And it always comes up when I teach spiritual gifts to women. Um, and and you go back to the Mary Martha principle, which I'm scared to even bring up with you. Move out of what? the way. <laughs> don't, don't enter into this conversation. Um, remember, that was our biggest fight we've ever had was over Mary and Martha. We're over it now. It's all been resolved. His mother resolved it for us. No, I, you, you are both misunderstanding me. Everybody... Um, I like Mary and Martha. I'm becoming a martyr right okay. now. I thought you were going to say I'm becoming a Martha fan. Good. I'm already a Martha fan, okay, everybody. Um, oh, my That it goodness. doesn't matter once we get into those spiritual gift situations. People always start looking at, maybe I don't like my gift as much as I like their gift. And, and they're better at that thing. And I'm not good at that thing. And we start to measure ourselves against what we see everybody else has. And Paul just comes right at this topic and he teaches it so well, more beautifully than anyone I've ever heard teach it before. He's going to start in chapter 10, verse 7, and he asks a really important question, which is, do you look on things after the outward appearance? And that's where we have to start this conversation. That's where we have to start this discussion. And I want you to think back like in your life, in your recent week, when is a time when you did actually take something at face value, you looked at the outward appearance and um, and saw what was happening there, and maybe when you got the full story, it, it wasn't exactly right, and how often do we do that? And, um, and that's where he starts out. He's like, how many of you have done that before? Well, you looked on the outward appearance and it, it wasn't quite right. And um, so then he's gonna say in 12 that, um, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So he wants you to know any of you who are looking at each other and trying to measure yourself against someone else, that, that is not going to be wise for you. And he's going to give us a different solution, which is hands down the best solution I've ever heard. He says, we will not boast of things without our measure but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even you. And I love that thought when he's saying, listen, I have a measure for you, and I have a measure for you, and I have a measure for you, and everybody's measure is a little bit different. But it's what God gave you, and that's what you're going to measure against, is the measure God gave you. And then he says in verse 14, For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, 
not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. And I, I love when he's talking about don't measure yourself against other people. Measure yourself against the measure God has set for you. Many years ago, I was working with a woman, and I can't remember if we've talked about this story or not, but it is such a good reminder for me every time I read this. Um, I was working with a woman who was really struggling with a lot of hard and heavy things. And there came a point when I was so frustrated with what was going on, and I felt like I didn't have any more insight. I didn't have anything else to give. Um, her and I used to go to a weekly um, counseling appointment together where we would just get advice and help for the upcoming week and at this particular appointment she had not shown up I had shown up and I waited for 15 minutes and and then she didn't come and the counselor finally came out past the secretary and said you know why don't why don't you just come in for a minute and and let's you and I talk so I went and sat in there and he asked how it was going and we kind of got into it and then before you knew it, I was in tears because I just felt overwhelmed by the situation. It was bigger than I was and I, I felt like I was failing in every area of trying to help this woman with what was going on. And um, the counselor said something that was so interesting to me. He said, you know, I think there is a problem with your perspective. I think there is a problem with what you're trying to accomplish here because you're trying to get her all the way up the staircase this year. And what if all God needs you to do is take her up one stair? Mm. And I was like, really? Just one stair? I can do one stair. Like, mm. I, I could do that. And it was almost as if I had set a measure that, that wasn't God's measure mm -hmm. for her at that moment. And as soon as I allowed God to set the measure for that, everything became so much easier and sometimes we do that with other people maybe you are doing that with a child right now or maybe you have a friend or a sibling or someone but sometimes we do it with ourselves oh i was just gonna say that I, you know i teach you know taught seminary and institute for a lot of years and missionaries will get really frustrated with mm -hmm. themselves in the same way where they're yeah. just like i am not measuring up i'm not yes. reaching the standard and the question i like to ask them is who is setting the standard that you're not reaching up to, that you're not measuring up to? Mm -hmm. and, and they realize it's themselves. Yes. You know, they're like, I've set this false expectation yep. for myself and I'm not reaching it. When, whenever someone's like, I'm not measuring up, it's like, did God set that measure or, or did, did you, you set, set it? You know? And did you set it in comparison with somebody else? Right. Which usually is what happens, yep. right? Because if they can do it, then I should be able to do that same thing. And many years ago, um, those of you who have kids who are just the age where they're everywhere all the time and you feel like you're in your car constantly and if you're not driving them somewhere then you're trying to get homework done and also cook dinner and there just is not enough hours in the day there just isn't there is a time when you are raising kids where there are not 24 hours in one day is not the right amount of hours hmm. bless and, you jenny um, yes jenny's bless life. you jenny <laughs> and everyone else who has kids that age and you just like you can't breathe all day long that is what it feels like and I can remember one time thinking to myself, I'm not going to get it all done. I'm not, I'm not, you, you know, you get yourself so worked up. And the spirit said in my mind, all you can do is your best. Mm. That's it. All you can do is your best. And it was such a relief to me because I was, I was trying my best. Every single day I woke up and I just tried to do my best. 
And it made me think to myself at that time, how often do we look at other people who we want to say, you're not measuring up right now. You're, you're not giving me your best. And we get impatient with those people. And sometimes we can get angry with those people and frustrated. And one day after I'd had the spirit say to me, all you can do is your best. I thought to myself, you know, how many of us get up in the morning and think to ourselves, I hope I am a terrible mom today. I hope I make the worst dinner. I hope I don't get anyone's homework done. I hope I am a terrible wife. I hope I am rude to all my friends. Who wakes up in the morning and says that? No one. We all <laughs> like wake up in the morning for me to answer. and we say, I'm just going to do my best today. That's what I'm going to do. And we look at everything that is in front of us. And sometimes it's a lot of overwhelming stuff. And we look at that task and those things we have to face. And we say, I'm just going to do my best today. That's what I'm going to do. And how often do we look at the lady who's driving us crazy in the grocery store or our friend who said something that we're like, why did she just say that? Or sister or one of our kids. If we could just take a little pause and say for a second, she woke up today and said, I'm going to do my best today. Mm. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do my best. Would we be a little more patient with the people who we're working with? And I just love this thought that God's going to God's going to give us a measure and then he's going to help us fulfill that. And a good companion scripture for this group of scriptures is actually in Ephesians 4 and it's verse 7 and it says this, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And I love this so much because he not only is going to set our measure for us, what he has in mind for us, but then he is going to give us through grace whatever we need to be able to fulfill that measure. Yeah. What's that verse again? It's Ephesians 4, 7. And I think the verse I would link it to is 2 Corinthians 10, 7. Because after he asked that question about the outward appearance, he says, If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let him think this again, that if he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. And it gives us, when we like know that, that Christ is going to give us that gift of grace, we start seeing it in other people too. And it just yeah. helps to, and we love in connection with that, that line from Genesis at the creation, you know, where God says, let them fill the measure of their creation. Yes. You know, and, and you and I were created with certain limits and capacities and opportunities. And, and he's just asking us to fill, to fill that measure of creation, right? Flowers don't do what dolphins do. You know, so like, let's just do what God yeah. has created us and created in front of us, you know, to do. And maybe you just need that little personal time with God this week to kneel down and say to him, what, what is the measure to reach me right now? What is the measure of my creation? What do I need to be focusing on and yeah. what expectations should I set? And, and to be able to just sit back and say, all I can do is my best right now. And my best is enough. Yeah. Right now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because whatever your best can accomplish, his best will. Right. Nothing is going to fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. Right. God is going to pick up. Yep. You know, yep. that's he the really gift of grace. Okay. This last section is just really neat. It's almost like a, an opposite section. Before we get into it, we thought we would um, look at this one verse because this could be a great um mm -hmm kind of like discussion and it'd be neat yeah. to know people in your group or family or you know what their answer to this would be but Paul's actually talking about himself in chapter 12 but it's such a neat phrase that he uses in verse 2 where he says I knew a man in Christ 
above 14 years ago, and he starts kind of talking about his journey. But we love that phrase where he talks about, I once knew a man who was in Christ. And we wonder who you, who comes to mind when you think of that. I know a man or I know a woman who is in Christ. Immediately, my thought goes to my grandfather um, who, like, if, if I heard Paul say, I knew a man in Christ, I would think, oh, I do too. I knew a man in Christ. You know, um, just the way that he lived and reacted to situations around him and how tender his heart was. You just like, I, and we're just curious, like, who you would say and who you think of, like, I knew a man in Christ. And what's interesting is what he goes into next is he starts talking about a phrase that he uses across several of his uh, epistles throughout the mm -hmm. New Testament is a thorn in his flesh. And if you go down to verse 7, um, 7 and 8 is where he first brings it up, where he just says, and lest I should be exalted above measure mm -hmm. through the abundance of the revelation. So he's like, I, I, have, I have been given a lot of revelations, but just in case that I don't become prideful in it, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And in verse 8 he says, for this thing, meaning for it to be removed, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And, and he didn't let it go. So we are not sure what it was that Paul struggled with, but he called it a thorn in his flesh. And he asked multiple times, will you please take this away? Take away this weakness, take away this insecurity, whatever it is that he had. And the Lord chose to have it remain. And I love putting it in connection with that verse two, where he says, I knew a man in Christ and I wonder if um, that thorn in the flesh isn't what helped turn him into, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that man, man in Christ, Christ. you know. Mm -hmm. And we're not necessarily saying that all of our um, hardships or things that we face in life were given to us by God. But God could remove him if he wanted. And sometimes it seems that he allows them to remain because, because of he, the tutoring. And, yeah. and, and, and he and, has to allow mortality to do his, right. its work in us. Otherwise, why did we come right. to mortality? And so there are some times when he says that this part of mortality has to do its work in you. It's temporary, but it will do its work in the, in the yeah. temporary, right? And I love where he goes from there, which is a, a verse that we love, you might be familiar with. He goes right into verse 9, and it says this, And he saith unto me, My grace is sufficient for you. For thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And sometimes I like to change that word perfect. You know the Greek translation of that could be complete. To say my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made complete in weakness. And I love the thought of that. We turn to him when we feel like whatever that weakness is, wherever we are not enough, wherever we're not measuring up, we turn to him and his job is to complete us in that place and there's so much power in that and then it says this most gladly therefore will i rather glory in my infirmities that the power of christ may rest upon me mm. and it's just such a beautiful definition of how grace works um, that it comes to us in our weakness that it completes us in that place and that it's how the power of christ rests upon us is through that grace and what beautiful imagery he is giving us right there of what grace is and how we utilize that um, in our lives and then this last part um, it says in verse 10 for when I am weak 
um, then I am strong. So he says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I know, and you hear people talk about sometimes and you almost like roll your eyes when someone's like, I'm so thankful for my trials. And you kind of think, well, you don't have mine or whatever, you know, but yeah. that this is where that is coming from, that same idea of, man, in those moments when I'm not enough, that is when I lean more mm -hmm. into him. And that is when relationship and experiences that we have together, it's because we're weak that we actually receive his strength. If we did it all on our own, we would never look to him, call upon him, think about him. Our hearts would never be filled with gratitude toward him. Mm -hmm. I can so, remember... Um, during one of the hardest trials of our life, um, having a, a conversation with a friend, and within that conversation, we just talked about, will you ever be grateful that this thing has happened in your family? And right off the bat, I was like, no, I, I won't. I won't ever be great. Like, I won't ever be able to look at this thing and be like, yeah, I'm so grateful this happened. But at the same time, and with the same passion, I can say, I would never give up the testimony of Jesus Christ that has come to us because of that trial. And it's so interesting because as adamant as I am that I would never say I was grateful for that trial, I am just as adamant that I would never give up the witness of Christ that has come yeah. from that trial because I know what it is to be weak. I know what it is to not be up to the challenge placed in front of you and I know the power of Christ's grace. I know it, I have experienced it, I have felt it, I know what it does and I am grateful for the grace. Yeah, it's interesting to think like, would you, you know, after experiences like that when someone says, you know, would you do it again if you knew this was, was gonna happen and you're just like, oh, I don't even know how to answer that. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, because yeah, because you come away and you say, I wouldn't trade who I've become mm -hmm. and what I've learned. No, I don't want that. But who I've become because of it, you're almost yeah. like, I suppose, you know. Yes, yes yeah. but. So and which, interesting. There's this phrase that we love. It's called, this is the paradox of the cross. You know, that it's it was through suffering that victory was won, right? That Jesus, our, our exemplar, showed us this. It was mm -hmm. in weakness. It was in death. It was in suffering that the greatest victories and the greatest like um that heaven's doors were open and so it's like that's a paradox of it you like the cross the cross was a cruel thing it was like and yet it led to the greatest of things it was it's a now a beautiful symbol right yeah. what's what what was once a symbol of death is now a beautiful symbol um we love this part that we'll kind of end yeah, on but it's in so chapter great 13. Because, um we've been talking about the people of Corinth and all their struggles and all of the things that were going on and um, the, the temptations and the trials and the, everything that they were going through. And we've kind of walked that path with them, trying to overcome and get to a better place. And I love that at the very end of this letter, Paul is going to give them actually a challenge. He's, he's going to give them a moment to examine who they are and what they've learned in the time that he's been with them. Uh, I'll read it in here, and you want to read it in the message, because yeah. the message is so good. Yeah, it's better so than the it's message. This is Corinthians two for two on the message 13, today, uh, verse 5. He says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. 
Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you. Um, so that's that's what we're familiar with in the King James Version, but it's so fun to hear in the Yeah, in message. another version, just to give you another thought, it says, test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. And then this line's my favorite. You need firsthand evidence, not just hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. You know, and, and just a couple minutes ago, we, we heard Emily say that. You know, she was like, I have firsthand evidence that Jesus Christ is in me, was in me in those moments, you know. And I think that's what's so, that's such a beautiful conclusion, you know, to all those mm-hmm. things. Um, we love that thought of, um, there's a couple words in there that are so good. Examine yourself, prove your own self. Do you know for yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? And it reminded us of a story that President Nelson tells. And it's a story that is um, particularly close to my heart because it's actually a story that um, happened between him and my grandpa, um, Grandpa Mickey, many, many years ago when um, he was a heart surgeon still, President Nelson. And my grandpa used to be his coach. And my grandpa was in serious trouble with a heart condition and had gone to him to ask about an operation. And as they met together, Dr. Nelson told him his prognosis was not good. And if they were gonna proceed with the operation, it would be at an extremely high risk to my grandpa and that he couldn't guarantee that my grandpa would survive that operation. But they decided to do the surgery because death was certain if they didn't even try. And so that is what they decided to do. And I can remember preparing for that surgery. I was seven years old when that happened. And I can remember gathering with all of um, the grandkids in our family around that hospital bed and singing, I am a child of God, which was Grandpa Mickey's favorite primary song around his bed before that surgery happened. And um, before that surgery happened, President Nelson came in and sat by my grandpa's bed and um, he said, um, told him they were gonna move ahead, that if they didn't, death would be certain. And then my grandpa Mickey said, um, that's okay. My life is ready for inspection, let's proceed. And President Nelson says this, those words, my life is ready for inspection, have stayed with me ever since. He meant it most sincerely, and I have often contemplated the power of being able to face the next world with that kind of spiritual confidence. And then he says this, Coach Oswald did not survive the operation, making his declaration to Dr. Nelson all the more poignant. And um, it's just such a great story of this examining yourself and proving to yourself and know you in yourself that Jesus Christ is in you. And, And it's just that moment of being able to say, my life is ready for inspection. And, and if it isn't, what needs to be done right now so that it would be? Yeah, and I love that Paul ends all of those things, like to test yourselves, um, to give yourself that regular checkup, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we'll fa- find ourselves lacking a little bit and then ends with saying, like, um, you just need firsthand experience of Jesus in you. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes somebody's life ready for inspection, is that they just kept you know, reaching out to him um, in their moments of weakness, mm-hmm. in their moments of fall, in their moments of mistake. They say like, I, I'm, you know, who's, remember President Uttar saying, who goes, you know, who receives celestial glory? 
It's like, oh, those who are regularly repenting, who are regularly turning to him for help and for strength, mm -hmm. you know. And so I love that he puts that in there. And yeah. in, in case somebody's like, oh, well, I'm not measuring up again. It's like, oh, we're back to that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know. Okay, everybody. All it's right, so we fun. love being with you next week, Galatians. And we have something fun yeah, in store you for can't you wait. next week. Yep. It will be your best one. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.